Today we're going to finish up our series on biblical stewardship uh, with part five, um, and I titled part five, You Only Live Once. Um, uh, and the idea is, uh, today what we're going to be talking about is stewarding you. It's easy to talk about stewarding stuff because there's a method involved. There's clear processes that you can go go in. There's a lot of uh, biblical mandates uh, for us. We, we don't have to guess. But when it comes to stewarding you, it gets a little tricky because I don't know if you realize this, but chances are you in someone's life are difficult in one way, shape, or form, right? You may think you're just, I'm, I am just everyone's favorite, favorite person. Uh, well, maybe, maybe, um, but I guarantee there's one person who, who would disagree with that statement. They might be sitting next to you wearing a wedding ring. Anyway, moving right along. Uh, <laughs> So it's really easy to get so caught up in details that we forget that we have to live. You know, life is, is a lot of fun and there's a lot of it going on, but here's the reality. Life is also very difficult and you only get one shot. There's no do-over. When you get to the end of the end of your life and you know that the end is coming near, there's no rewind button. The choices you make today are the choices you made today. The, the, the activities that you've participated in, the friends that you've made, the relationships that you have, the direction that you're moving in, you have made that decision today and it will affect tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. So one of the more important things for us to learn to steward is ourselves. Because in reality, if we don't take care of ourselves, we're really no good to anybody else. We have to take care of who we are. And that doesn't mean look out for number one. That's not what I'm saying. But we have to make sure that we are both physically, spiritually, emotionally, physically healthy. Right? This is, this is an important thing. So I only have two points today and 12 pages of notes. Uh, no, okay, that's not true. But I do only have two points today. And the first point when it comes to stewarding yourself is do not neglect your gift. This is a mandate that Paul gave Timothy, and it's something that we should all learn how to apply in our lives. Now, in 1 Timothy 4, verses 13 through 16, Paul says this, until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers and teaching them. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Do not neglect the gift that was given you. Now, granted, this is Paul talking to Timothy, but here's something that you need to know today. Do not neglect the gift given you. Do not neglect that gift. Have you ever seen a kid who has a natural tendency in something? It's so annoying, like you don't even even like the kid anymore. It's like something you've wanted to do your whole life, and they're just so good at it. They just do it blindfolded, you know, and and backwards. It's just, just, it's just, mm -hmm. then you watch that kid grow up, and that gift was never nurtured. It was never cared for. It was actually maybe even neglected because the parents may have looked at that gift and thought, that's expensive. And we don't have the money to nurture that, so we're going to ignore it. And the gift never goes anywhere. And actually might even become a source of frustration for the kid later on in life. 
because they have a natural ability that they were never allowed to pursue. Now translate over that into the spiritual world. And you're young, in, you're young in Christ. You've come to the Lord. And there is a gift that has been given you. Every Christian has a gift given them. Every single one. If you have confessed Christ as your Savior, you have a gift. Part of your goal in your life should be to figure out what that gift is and put it into practice. Neglecting that gift can lead to all sorts of problems. Because you may be a super person in one moment. And what got you to that place, you neglect. The skill is no longer nurtured. It's no longer fed. It's no longer developed. And it starts to fall off. And some skills can fall off very, very quickly. When I first started playing guitar, I went from buying a guitar to leading worship in a home meeting in less than six months. And that's because I lived with that stupid thing. I was the kind of guitar player no one wanted to be around because I always had it with me. And I wanted to show you my newest chord. But I played, seriously, almost every waking moment. It was was annoying. And I developed a skill very, very fast. And at some point, it just plateaued and stayed there. You want to know why? I got comfortable, and I stopped developing myself. And if I stop playing for any length of time, the skill level will drop off. And I can remember, it's like, I used to be able to do that. My fingers don't do that anymore. No, you're supposed to go over here. It falls off so fast because it's a neglected gift. See, I haven't thrown myself into it anymore. I've gotten comfortable with my skill level and I'm okay where it is. We're supposed to be continually moving forward. It's absolutely true that some people are born with natural abilities in certain areas. However, worldwide... The highest performers in most areas were not born with a natural skill in those areas. They developed them. They practiced them. Now, studies show us that about, it takes about 10,000 hours of dedicated practice to become an expert in any field. About 10,000 hours. Now, if you think about that, if you break that down into normal, normal time periods, if you did nothing other than practice one thing for eight hours every day, it would take you three and a half years to become an expert in that area. You were not distracted at all. Eight and a half hours every single day for three and a half years, you would, you would hit 10, the 10,000 hour mark. Now, the average person has about three or four hours, maybe five if they're lucky, to pursue a single process. And that's about four or five days a week. Which means it takes roughly 10 years of dedicated work to become what we would consider an expert in any given field. 10 years of dedicated work to become an expert. The average symphony-level orchestra player began playing their instrument between 6 and 8 years old. 6 and 8 years old. How many of you want a 6-year-old with a violin? For hours every day. And you've got to muster up the courage to go... That sounds great, honey. Oh, I'm sorry. That sounds great, honey. (laughs) 
Most professional musicians agree that, uh, I'm, I'm talking about symphony level players, will play something roughly a thousand times in private before once for the public. I think Beethoven used to say 3,000 times in private before once for the public. Because they had, they had to nail that thing. They needed to know it blindfolded. That's some dedication. But what it goes to show us is that natural talent only takes you so far. John Maxwell has a really great book that he wrote. It's called Talent is Never Enough. Talent is Never Enough. You can have all the raw talent in the world, but if you don't hone that talent, it is not enough. And in fact, it will probably get you in trouble. Because if you have a natural talent in something and you step into that as a career, you're going to step into it thinking you are way beyond your actual skill level. Anyone ever work with those people? You know, I'm sure no one in the nursing field has ever come out of nursing school convinced they know everything. And they re-diagnose everything that the doctor has previously diagnosed because the doctor is an idiot. Now, granted, sometimes <laughs> we're just going to leave that alone. There's a reason it's called practicing medicine. Um, but, you know, but there is something that has to happen. There is a humility that you have to get through kind of being, getting beat up in the process. In culinary, we used to say that a culinary school student would make a really great cook after about three and a half years out of culinary school till they finally get to the point where they realize they don't know anything. And then finally, they're willing to learn. It's, it's, un, it's unfortunate, but that is a reality in the world that we live in. For the most part, anyone can develop a very high skill level in anything you want. For the most part. There's some people who are just like, yeah, no, don't ever go there. Like, don't teach your grandparents how to, how to you know, program websites. It's, it's not a good idea. It's not, it's not a good idea. The problem is we never actually get to the point where we develop a level of expertise because we get bored with the process of learning and we settle for a degree of mediocrity. And I can't tell you how prevalent that is in the church with our faith. We learn and we grow in the, in the word of God and the understanding of the word of God and to a point where we think we're comfortable with what we know about God and scripture and we don't see the point of continuing on so we settle for this level of mediocrity. And the next thing you know, you've been a Christian for 30 years and you can't explain the gospel because you've gotten so comfortable in your own faith, you've forgotten that half of our faith is about sharing it. Happens, it happens continuously. So we have to throw ourselves into this. Now look at this, First Peter 4.10. God has, right? That's that word, has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gift. Use them well to serve one another. Do you notice that this is past tense? God has given each of you a gift. Not if you reach a certain level of spiritual significance in your life, predetermined by whatever denomination you happen to be following at the time, and then your pastor or an elder will let you know if you have a gift in your life, but you must pass a written test first. No! God has given each of you a gift. Are we going to neglect it or not? That's the question. 
Now, most translations, when it says from his great variety of spiritual gifts, says God has given you a gift from his manifold, uh, his manifold wisdom. That word manifold is pretty amazing. Remember, we're using the New, New Living Translation this year. But the word manifold or great variety means multifaceted, numerous, and many-sided, which means you don't have just one. You don't have just one. You're not limited to one single area of service within the church. You have many. They are available to you. By God's grace, he has placed a multitude of gifts within each of our lives. Everything the world needs for every problem and every challenge has been placed within the lives of God's people. Not just a few of his people who occupy certain predetermined positions or have a title or call themselves bishop or apostle or pastor. Those are not the only people who have those gifts. Those are actually the people who are least likely to move things forward. The most powerful thing that I can do as a pastor is release you out into the mission field. That is the most powerful thing that I can do because I'm only one person. Jesus limited himself to 12 and he was God. And way taller than me, I'm pretty sure. Now granted, Paul historically is described as a short, chubby guy with an attitude, which gives me hope. See, we do the same thing that the secular world does when it comes to our gifts. We talk ourselves out of trying because we don't think we're talented as the person on the stage or the person doing this, or the person doing that. We tend to put our faith in what other people are doing for the Lord, not what we can do for the Lord. Romans 12, 4 through 6 says, Just as our bodies have many parts, each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given given us different gifts for doing certain things well. God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out as much uh, with as much faith as God has given you. Paul is trying to tell us to get things together. No single person is gifted in everything. None. doesn't matter how awesome someone is. They do not have everything that the world needs. What the world needs is the body of the church. What the world needs is the gifts of the Spirit that have been poured out among the people of God at being utilized within the congregation of God. That's what the church needs. So the body is all working together. Could you imagine if half the cells in your body decided to stop working? We call that a medical emergency, but just wondering, you know. Your body functions the way that it does because all of the tiny little microscopic parts that mostly go unnoticed do what they were designed to do. There's this cool little thing inside of all of your cells. There's trillions of them in your body. It's called an ATP synthase motor. It's actually a molecular machine that turns adenosine diphosphate into adenosine triphosphate. Science lesson for today. Here's the cool thing. That's what keeps you alive. It is literally the thing that keeps you alive. Adenosine triphosphate is the, is, it's a little molecular explosion that powers everything that goes on in your body. 
that little molecular motor designed by God for a very specific function, all it does is churn out these two silly little things. It's so cool to watch. If that stops, you die like that. You don't even feel bad. You're just done. It is so small. Scientists didn't even find it till I think in the last 50-ish years. I can't remember exactly when. Don't quote me on that. We just believed our bodies just work. It's, it's this little insignificant thing that is so important. It powers everything else going on. Sometimes we think we're insignificant. We think our gifting is insignificant. But what you don't know is you may be powering something much greater by simply doing the little job that you were assigned to do. I've said this before. My favorite people in the restaurants, people I cared about the most were the dishwashers. Because I can cook something amazing. If I don't have a, a, a dish to put it on, what difference does it make? Sometimes the insignificant things are really the significant things. So the question you have to wrestle with for yourself is, what is your part? I meet people in the church regularly that have not only have no answer to that question, they've never actually been encouraged to pursue it. They've never been taught to dream about who they are in God. They've been taught to attach themselves to the denomination and support that. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to find out who we are and then come together. So here's what happens. God gives us a nudge, and most of the time we blow it off. We blow it off because we think it might make people think we're weird. You ever had God ask you to do something? You know God is moving you in a direction, and you think, they're going to think I'm weird if I do this. If I walk up to my coworker and I say, God is encouraging me to buy you lunch— God, I think God has this word for you. I would really love to just bless you with this. I feel like God wants me to give you this. They're going to think I'm weird because I think God told me to do something. Let me help you out. Let me just put you at ease. If you are a confessing confessing Christian living a consistent Christian life, they already think you're weird. Okay? So just put your mind at ease. You might as well prove it. Because you're probably weird, and that's okay. It's actually a good thing. We're supposed to look weird to the world. If the world looks at our life and they can't tell any difference between us and everybody else, we're not winning. We're losing. We're supposed to stand out. Matthew twenty-two fourteen. For many are called, but few are chosen. Why are only a few chosen? You think about this. Many are called, few are chosen. Why? What is the difference between the called and the chosen? That almost seems like God is being way too selective. Why is it that so many Christians never develop a comfort walking in the power and confidence of the Holy Spirit? In my opinion, and this is just my opinion, is that we don't take the time to develop our God-given abilities, so we end up with no confidence in them. We don't take the time to develop our God-given abilities, so we have no confidence in them. 
It's when we have confidence in those, when we see God working. We see God moving, and we're part of it. We develop a confidence in the gift that he's given us, and that's okay. It's supposed to be what happens. When I first began to, to, uh, uh, to walk in things, well, actually, let me, let me give you this one first, Luke 16, 10. If you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the large things. But if you are dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest with the greater responsibilities. When I first began to walk and practice the prophetic, it, it really frightened me. It really frightened me. One of, the, one of the few gifts that you're told can bring real difficulty down on you is being a false prophet. Telling someone, thus saith the Lord, and it's not. So when I started to feel movement in that direction, it really, it really bothered me. I didn't know what, when I should speak. I didn't know if I should speak. And it took, it took seriously several years and a lot of mistakes uh, before I finally got to the point where I realized that it's something that you don't actually think about. You just do. You, you, just, you just do. I was talking to, to so uh, John and Andrew, uh, you know, as Andrew is, is, uh, operates in a, in a very profound prophetic gifting. Um, and John is trying to kind of, kind of test those waters. And it's, 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 been, it's been an interesting journey for him. And, he, and uh, he's talking to me, and he said, you know, my dad said to me once, and, and before he could speak, I said, stop thinking and just do it. And he goes, yep. I said, yeah, because that's what you have to do. It's what you have to do. It's when, see, when we start thinking about it too much, we get in the way. We got to get out of the way and let God get in, in, involved. And that means you got to disconnect yourself and just do what he's telling you to do. Everything we do in Christ is the same. First, we learn to listen. Then we crawl. Then we walk. And if we're really lucky, we learn to run. But you'll never learn to run if you don't first learn to listen and then crawl and then walk. So do not neglect your gift. It's there for a reason. Second one. Oh, I apparently did not uh, change that. That is supposed to say, surround yourself with balance. Surround yourself with balance. Now, I don't know how many of you um, slightly more experienced folks, those of you who have been around a little bit longer, ever look back at your life, uh, like high school and college days, and you think to yourself, yeah, I want to do that again. You know who thinks about stuff like that? People that are 25. (laughs) People that are like 30s and their 40s are like, not a chance. What are you, drunk? No way. I don't want to go do that again. Not unless I know what I know now. It seems like so much fun when you're there, um, and it seems like you understand everything that needs to happen. And if the adults in your life would just learn to listen to the profound levels of wisdom that you have been bestowed, life would be so much better. Which is why when they talk about lowering the voting age, think, oh, God, no. Can we move it up to 25, please? There's a reason they want to do that. Because I'm sorry, those of you who are younger, you're very easy to manipulate. It does not take that much. Okay? We had to live a little bit, a little bit longer until we start to realize what life is really about. See, high school for me was a very interesting time. We'll just say interesting time. Obviously, I was very heavily into sports. 
meaning I was the mascot for the girls' varsity soccer team. Yep, and that's mainly because I don't like football uh, and basketball. <laughs> really, just you know, just, you know, just leave that right there. Um, but here's here's something that did happen in high school. Um, I started working when I was 13, I was, and I, and by working, I mean like I was working year round at some of the re, a couple of the resorts in the uh, Alex Bay area, washing dishes year round. So I had money pretty regularly, and as soon as I could, I had a car. Like quick. Now, granted, my first car was a, um, uh, uh, I think it was like an 89 Chevy Citation with no exhaust and tires and rims that didn't match, but it was mine. It was mine. Blue, well, rust blue with a red hood that had a scoop on it, which was awesome. There was really no reason for the scoop there because, (laughs) you you know, it's just whatever. But it was mine, and I could drive anywhere... Uh, anyone anywhere. So anyone throwing a party wanted me involved because I had money to buy beer and I could, and I wasn't really much of a drinker. Um, I mean, I, I developed that habit eventually because that's kind of what ended up happening because I didn't know the Lord and I didn't have any desire to know the Lord at the time. Um, but I would drive all the other people home. Didn't necessarily remember that, but uh, I did drive them home. And I would do anything for a laugh and I could turn anything into a dirty joke because that's how I was brought up. You know, you want to make friends? That, that's what you do. You supply them with alcohol and you make them laugh. So that's what I did. That was my high school and college experience. And I was okay with it because they were my friends. You know, they needed me. When I got into college, my Chevy Citation turned into a little Nissan Datsun truck. You know, it was... So sharp. Painted primer black. Yeah, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Yep. I had a white roll bar and a big CB antenna because there were no cell phones back then. Okay? Well, they were, but they were the size of one of these speakers up on the stage, and you had to have a bag over your shoulder. The battery packs were the size of my Bible. So when I got to college, it was the same thing. I was the guy in the dorms that would make everybody laugh. I was the guy in the dorms that could get everybody alcohol. Uh, And I was the guy in the dorm that had the truck that everyone could pile in the back of, and we could go down to the beach, and I would drive everybody home. I was the guy in college that uh, uh, all the girls would come talk to after their... Talk to. (laughs) Just talk. uh, After their night of poor choices, because I would listen. I was the one that would give the people money when they were broke, and it was usually money I didn't have. But you see, I did all of this because they were my friends, and they needed me. So what I didn't know was how out of balance my life was. See, I thought all of those things made me valuable to the people that I was connected with. I didn't realize what was really happening until my life fell into difficult times, And all the people that I was there for were not there. They were more than happy to say, hope it works out. But they were never there. So what I realized was, in all of those pursuits where I thought I was developing relationships, what I was doing, I was becoming a resource for other people to draw from, but never pour into. You understand what I'm saying? 
How many of you got people like that in your life? They are more than willing to suck everything of value out of your life, but they are completely unwilling to pour anything of value into yours. Thank goodness that doesn't happen in the church. During the week when no one's here, right? Aren't we glad that as Christians we've moved past that, that we all have balanced lives? No, you see, I was worthy of making them laugh. I was worthy of listening to their problems and helping them with their relationship. I was worthy to be their personal ATM, but I was not worthy for them to pour into when I was empty. See, in a balanced relationship, there is an exchange. There is an exchange. There is a give and there is a take. And when there's a give, we look into the life of another person and we discover what they, what they, uh, what they need that we have and we offer it to them freely. Freely. And then there's a taking. When we are in need and that person is doing the same thing to us, we receive it thankfully. See, we give freely and we receive thankfully. There's a give and there's a take in a balanced relationship. If we look back into our lives honestly, I'm sure there's people that you know that were more than willing to take all you had, leave you empty, and move on to the next person. This kind of imbalance is not only going to drain you, it will make you bitter. It will make you bitter. And it will make you bitter to people that didn't actually hurt you. You'll become so resistant to other people that you won't even let them in. It happens. But check this out. Look at what the Bible says about the people that we should be surrounding ourselves with. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Do you know that when you sharpen iron, when iron sparks fly? Right? How many of you got that friend who's totally willing to tell you you're an idiot? And they're willing to, to, they're, they're willing to accept that same sentiment from you. So what do you think about this? I think you're a moron. Oh, well, okay, thanks. They're willing to hone you into something better. How about this? 1 Corinthians 15.33. Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. Don't be fooled by people who are flattering you just because they make you feel good about yourself doesn't mean they're good people. How about this one? Proverbs 27, 6. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. If someone hurts you because they care, they're trying to protect you, that's a good thing. Now imagine if I'm standing on the railroad tracks and I got my foot caught in something and I can't quite get it out. And one of my friends decides to football charge me as the train's coming. They hit me full on. I don't know if you realize this. I'm not that big. I know I'm standing on a stage and I look huge. I'm not. They hit me. Take me right off the tracks and onto the, onto the ground. So not only am I on the ground, I got this big guy laying on top of me. Eventually I'll catch my breath. They hurt me for all the right reasons. You see, I should be thankful for that. Rather than, dude, you think you could have football tackled me and saved my life a little gentler? No. 
How about this? Proverbs 17, 17. A friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help them in time of need. How many people do you have in your life that you know you can go to no matter what? They'll laugh with you. They'll cry with you. And you know that they'll keep it to themselves. You can tell them anything and they're not going to go blabbing it to the world. So Christians don't, don't, don't gossip. We share the needs of others without their permission because we care about them. No, that's gossip. When someone comes to you looking for trouble, you don't even have to ask if they're going to be there to help. You don't have to question their motives, and they'll never question yours. These are the type of people we're supposed to be surrounding ourselves with. But in the world that we live in, and even in the church, I'm, I'm sorry, it's just truth. We also have toxic people. Anyone ever had a toxic person in their life? If you think about just the term toxic, what we're talking about when we talk about toxic, there, uh, something that is toxic is something that you're exposed to that, re, uh, exposed to that removes life from you. That's what something that's toxic is. It doesn't necessarily end your life immediately. It limit, it starts to take little bits of life away from you until you don't have the strength to fight for yourself anymore. That's a toxic person. They come into your life. Sometimes they're born into the same family. Sometimes they show up as an in-law. But they steal joy from you. They steal life from you. They steal hope from you. They steal dreams from you. They make you always feel like you're less than you are. They're always better, always faster, always willing to let you know about the life that they have that you will never have. And they love to say things like, I'm not trying to start trouble, but I'm about to. Look, I'm only telling you this. I don't know if this is true, but here's something you should think about. Hey, I heard from someone about you. They're always trying to let you know that they know more are more capable and have more joy than you will ever have in your pathetic little life. Those are great people. Teammates. I love that. Those are toxic people. What you want to find are people who give you life and joy. You want to surround yourself with the kind of person who will not only pull you up to the level that they're at, but they will push you beyond where they can even go. They are totally fine with you becoming better and more successful than they are. Because they care about you that much. As opposed to someone who is more than willing to help you start to climb the ladder and then pull it right out from underneath you so that you know you'll never be as talented as they are. Those are awesome people. But if we're not careful, we will either surround ourselves with at least one or we will become one. Don't be that person. Be the person that when you walk into the room, a peace arrives. Anyone ever known, maybe you have a relative, they walk into the room, they show up at a family function, and all of a sudden, you can hear everyone's teeth 
start to grind. Oh, good. They're finally here. No. You want to be that, that type of person that when difficult things are happening and you walk in the room, everyone knows it's going to be okay. They're here. It's going to be fine. That's who you want to be. And that's who you want to surround yourself with. I didn't know what real friendship was like until I met the Lord. I began to understand what it meant to be with people who would have unending grace for my stupid mistakes, starting with Christ himself. And at the same time, be a force of encouragement when I step into new territory or do something stupid, which only happens daily. Okay, sometimes twice a day. Today, today I can honestly tell you that I have very few close friends. And I know that sounds like a bad statement, but the older you get, the smaller your circle gets. It's just a reality. It's not, it's not elitism or anything like that. It's just a reality. You begin to develop closeness with very few people. There's nothing wrong with that. Just make sure you stay open to others at the same time. But there's going to be a very small circle that you exist in that you can say anything to and they can say anything to you. It's okay that that happens. Remember, Jesus had 12 and one of them killed him. Life can teach us very difficult lessons. And typically, the people who walk with us through those lessons become fewer and fewer as the years pass. It's okay. But the people who do stay with you, make sure you take the time to laugh with them. Make sure they know they can unload their struggles on you. Make sure you encourage them to do the best of their ability and to keep moving forward no matter how bad things get. Be that person for them and let them be that person for you. And make sure they know that you will let them know when they're being an idiot and that you expect the same from them. Make sure they know that. Christ calls us to love deeply the people who walk closest with us. We should be willing to do it with open arms. So two things to remember about today. You have a gift. Don't neglect it. Because God God will not cultivate it for you. You have to choose to do that yourself. And secondly, live a life of balance. Make sure that the people you're walking with, you can pour into and they pour into you make sure that happens. It's why we exist as a community of faith, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you continually walk with us. You continually push us to go and grow farther. You're not willing to leave us where we are. That you continually move us forward. Father, we thank you for the opportunities that you've given us. We thank you that you allow us to continually grow in you. Father, help us to cherish the relationships that we have and help us to become the person that we would want to be close with. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.